Interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, we take a look at the compliance profession and the current job market. We consider the relevance of compliance, turbulence in the job market, and how the career path of a compliance professional is evolving. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Today, we're going to take up a topic that uh, we probably should talk about a little bit more, but we uh, certainly haven't. Matt wrote a blog post on it uh, in the month of October 2020, if you can remember that far back. Compliance and career turbulence. So, Matt, first of all, uh, welcome back. Uh, hello, Tom. Always good to be here. So, Matt, what led you to uh, write the, this blog post? Uh, well, this stemmed from a webinar I had participated in last month on MentorCore, which is that new networking and career development group that um, Lisa Beth Lentini and Dan Ayala have formed. Some of you might know Lisa Beth. Uh, she is a former compliance officer at the Lux Corp and a few other places in the upper Midwest, uh, Carlson Wagonlit Travel, I think, and some other places. Uh, Lisa Beth is great. Dan Ayala is a former corporate IT security professional, and uh, Lisa Beth and Dan have formed MentorCore to talk about career development and career security issues in corporate uh, compliance and IT security and other related fields. They invited me on, and we had a one-hour discussion, which was a lot of fun, and uh, not because I was there, just because it was a great topic, and Dan and Lisa are great speakers, Uh, but we had a lot of fun talking about the sorts of challenges that compliance audit risk people have had this year, which thankfully is just about over, uh, and what lessons we could take to help guide your compliance audit or risk career in the future. Um, I'm still very bullish about career prospects in general. I think the skills that we have are very useful in the future, Although I also do think that there's some some concerns about the structure of the corporate compliance or audit career path, and we can talk about those things. Uh, but it was a great conversation. I took a lot of notes, and at the end of it, I realized I should just put this down to paper, too, and that's where the blog post came from. So you start off uh, right out of the box with a statement that I certainly agree with. Uh, you pose the question, is compliance still relevant? And, and uh, you self-answer that question. Um, but it struck me, Matt, that in reading that part of your blog post, um, you really uh, set up the scenario that I've seen the most over the past six or eight months, which is the speed of change. And it's the speed of change in risk yep. management. It's the speed of change in the compliance uh, role itself. It's the speed of change for a CCO and for the compliance professional. Um, so, and I guess that I would say not only do I see compliance still relevant, but I see it more relevant. Uh, you use the example of PPE as, as a great way to demonstrate how risks have changed, but really all risks have changed 
every company now is now working from home and perhaps other than advanced compliance solutions and radical compliance, uh, whose principles have worked from home for a long time, uh, that's a big change for everybody. Yeah, you know, the way I tend to say it is that even if the structure in which you are working as a compliance professional, your program, your program's place in your company, even if that is being strained right now, which is decidedly possible, the economy stinks, there's a lot going on, there's a lot of job losses, um, even if that is under strain, the capabilities that a good compliance program or audit or risk management program, the capabilities that those good programs generate Show me the world where those capabilities are going to be less necessary because I don't see it. And, Tom, since you came up with the uh, the example I used of PPE, I'll tell listeners here what I meant. You know, let's say that you are at a plastics manufacturing company. You make industrial components for other uh, industrial buyers. Low margin, very boring, pays the bills. It's a living, but that's it. Like plastic components for industrial use is not a sexy business. Boom, the pandemic comes, your factories have to shut down. So the company decides we're going to take our plastics manufacturing expertise and make face shields. Well, now you're becoming um, selling a very hot commodity. That is a very high margin business right now. And you are probably selling to public health authorities and local governments. So you're a government contractor. Your fraud risks and your compliance risks have changed radically with that idea because before you might have been worried about uh, financial fraud. Somebody is padding, um, I don't know, round trip revenue shipments at the end of the quarter or something like that to goose up earnings. Well, now your fraud risk is some dude in the loading dock is going to be stealing your plastic face shields and PPE and fencing them out of the back of the truck. And if you're a boring plastics component maker, you've never encountered that kind of fraud risk before. So what is your ability to assess the risk? What's your ability to put in new controls? A good compliance or audit professional who knows how to approach this new thing that the pandemic has created for us, you're going to be highly valuable. Now, how do we translate that into an official program with a budget and all that other stuff that we talk about ad nauseum on this podcast? I don't know. We can talk about that in due course, but the capabilities inherent in this, your ability to look at a changed situation and say, this now becomes more of a threat, so we need to do these other things to bring that threat back down to normal. That ability to analyze is crucial, Um, let alone, I had mentioned this earlier, you know, if you're selling PPE and now you're a government contractor, if you have never been a government contractor before, you know, Lord have mercy on you because it is a brutal compliance regime you have to figure out. And again, a compliance professional who knows how to do that, that's going to be a skill that has value from here forward. So the pandemic has strained business operations, but I would say that it has made good compliance and risk management capabilities more valuable. And so that's like, I don't see the pandemic as in a roundabout way, this sounds odd to say, I don't see it's a bad thing for our profession. I see that it's really given professionals quite an opportunity to shine, just not in circumstances any of us had really expected at the beginning of the year. Well, I would certainly agree with that, Matt. And uh, when I talk to people uh, simply about working from home and the risks and challenges that brings from the compliance perspective, 
around engagement, around effective internal controls, uh, around training and communications. Uh, but the other uh, area that I ask people to, to consider is if to engage in a uh, corruption or bribery, you have to have a pot of money and you have to get that pot of money mm-hmm. somewhere. And certainly one of the ways to get that pot of money was to cheat on your expense accounts. You could have an entire business unit cheat on your expense accounts. You could claim you had marketing expenses. You could claim it was a charitable donation. It strikes me that in the age of coronavirus, certainly in the, the part we're in now, again, in, in the United Kingdom is now in a four-week lockdown, that those uh, strategies to create pots of money are not going to work now because people can't get to the place where the controls are to override them or to circumvent them. That just means they'll go somewhere else. And that's where I see the real challenge for compliance professionals is to anticipate where within your organization a pot of money can be created to pay a bribe. So I see this as an incredibly vibrant uh, area as well. Yeah, you know, I think that the key word you just used there, Tom, was anticipate. Um, You need to be able to see what potential new risk is emerging given the changed circumstances uh, I'll do you another one here. You know, you were just talking about corruption risk. I'll pivot back to harassment risk. Um, so we're all working from home. We're all chatting on all of these uh, collaboration tools. Harassment still happens. However, now it's much more likely to be happening in some sort of written electronic format. Well, that is good and bad because now you have a written record of what might be harassment because there is somebody who's going to be stupid enough to try and harass the intern in chat. Um, at the same time, however, now you can't say we didn't know this harassment was happening. How did you not know? Because you have a written record of everything that is being said and discussed. So suddenly the company has to take harassment more seriously because you can't not take it seriously. You can't not say we didn't know. I mean, the regulator would turn around and say, there's the record right there. How did you not see it? How did you not analyze it? You know, you had the raw material to react to it. Um, so change circumstances and somebody somewhere who can look at the change and anticipate what does this mean for risks the company will face? And therefore, how should we re-engineer the controls we have to avoid that risk? That person who can do that, that person is going to be in demand. Doesn't matter what the title is. Maybe your budget or for staff is going to be under strain or something. But there is no scenario where management's going to say, "No, we don't need people who can anticipate risks and help us avoid a jam." Like th- th- that's just—it's not happening. That those people get dismissed. Uh, in your next section, you bring up a topic that uh, I wouldn't say it's difficult to have a conversation around, but probably not pleasant. And that's the turbulence of the job market, particularly if you're laid off. And you gave an example of, of someone who, who did lose their job um, and went through uh, a robust, I would say, uh, um, job search and was able to get some significant leads and then winnow those down and eventually uh, pick something up, I think, within four months. My observation before COVID-19 had been, uh, and I told people, if, if you get – what we say in the oil business, rift, reduction in force. If you get rift, uh, expect at least six months. And that that part mm-hmm. is the difficult part for many people because they immediately think, oh, my God, you know, we can't make it. Uh, and first of all, you have to make it. Uh, but two, um, 
I've been riffed. Um, I don't know if you've been riffed, but, um, you know, you adjust. You can cut back. You have some flexibility yeah. uh, within your own financial planning, and there are ways to get through it. And what I tell people is it's going to be a miserable six months, but you're going to get through it. But you have to do the work. And what I really liked about the piece, your example in the blog post was uh, this person did the work. He did. And um, my guess is that his experience as a mid-career to senior level compliance professional is probably going to be average. He was out of work, uh, I think, a total of uh, not quite five months, a little bit more than four, and uh, did wind up um, landing a a good, respectable job as a chief legal officer at a not small but not large company. And I think he's going to do quite well for himself. Um, But, Tom, you know, you had mentioned uh, having the mental preparation for six months, which I think is fair. I said that, you know, personally, you need uh, discipline and fortitude for that level of search and um, that patience to get through that. And I don't think being unemployed for several months is out of the norm for people who are highly skilled professionals who are looking for a large job with big salary. Um, So you have to be used to that. But I also would say that the key is being able to connect the abilities you have to the needs of the employer. Kind of like what I had just been talking about a few moments ago, show me the world where these capabilities will become less important. Uh, I think the trick is going to be convincing the employer that you have the capabilities to solve their problem, even if that conversation doesn't fit into the neat confines of a job description and keywords that are automatically recruited through HR software. And and the mechanics of job search, I think, are a bit desiccated and dry to the point where it might be counterproductive. That's just me. Um, But if you are really good at anti-corruption compliance and you come from an FCPA background, you do have the wherewithal and the skills to work at, say, a domestic healthcare concern which is worried about anti-kickback um, bribery laws. Now, I personally would say that the the mechanics of FCPA compliance and False Claims Act or anti-kickback compliance are substantively the same. You have to be able to do the same kind of things around risk analysis and policy development and working with frontline business units and figuring out third-party scams and all this other stuff that we talk about. But I know there are general counsels out there who would say, I don't have any overseas exposure, so I don't need any FCPA compliance experience. And this person with anti-bribery FCPA stuff has no skills for me. That's just flat out wrong. But how do you explain the skills you have gained in your FCPA compliance world and how they could apply to solve problems around um, illicit payments for somebody who isn't subject to the FCPA, but you still got a problem with illicit payments. And FCPA is a great way to knock that kind of stuff down. Those kind of conversations are what we will need to be better versed at to be able to advance your careers. But, you know, that's it's going to be a learning curve for some. But I, I still think these capabilities are highly valuable. So, Matt, in the third part of your blog post, you wrote about something that, frankly, I think you've been writing about at least a couple of years and perhaps even a little bit longer but you framed it in this blog post in terms of compliance career evolution. And that uh, evolution is in the convergence, what I would call compliance convergence, of audit, compliance, and risk management. 
Well, what were you getting at there? Yeah, I, I think about this a lot, and I think that the impetus for all of this evolution is actually coming from the internal audit world. Um, so I'll start there. What does the board want its internal audit function to do? Two things. Number one, help us on the board detect emerging risks. And number two, use data analytics to be able to provide more real-time monitoring of business processes so we can find when those processes create a risk, whether it's known or it's an emerging risk or anything. But anytime the business process drifts into the red zone, we want an alert that we at the board know that we should look into this. Really what you're saying there is that audit is going to use technology to build things that manage and monitor business processes to detect aberrant deviations from the standard procedure. Uh, you know, we're going to look at, we're going to automate analysis of invoices received before purchase orders received, because that's a surefire sign. Somebody's doing something hokey with their department budget. Um, so if you can automate so much of this governing every single process, so all processes, all transactions stay within that process that you've defined. And anytime people deviate from it, you get a notice of it. You can escalate it. You can investigate it right away. How is that really much different than what compliance officers do from a more person-driven perspective, training people on why certain standards of conduct are important and being able to investigate anytime they deviate from that? Audit and compliance are approaching the same goal of getting large numbers of people to behave in certain ways and knowing when somebody doesn't behave a certain way. And as soon as their head pops up above the fence, you can clip the head right off, which is a terrible metaphor to use for inspiring good conduct. But anyways, um, they're really, they're approaching the same point. And I, I would prefer to say it's convergence because other than that, you get to metaphors like there can be only one and somebody's going to have to get voted off the island and compliance versus audit and all this other adversarial relationship i don't like to speculate on but audit is building a data-driven approach to achieve the same standards of conduct that compliance is already talking about at a person-to-person -person level what happens five or ten years from now when those two things blend into one i don't know but i do suspect we're going to see more empowered more effective risk management i don't know who's going to be in charge of it um, I don't know if they're going to have a chief risk officer who manages compliance and, I don't know, operational risk and audit designs algorithms to detect emerging risk or something. We don't know where it's going to go. But these two things, audit and compliance, are clearly converging towards a fixed point. I would have said by 2030, before the pandemic, now I think it's going to happen much sooner. I don't know exactly when, and I don't know what the right ideal is that's going to come about, but I think we have to be prepared for that idea. And I absolutely agree with you that we should be preparing now for that eventuality. Uh, I'm going to say 2022 at this point, because of the acceleration in the management of risk, the need for the management of risk and the boards finally, either by uh, legal, uh, caveat, uh, legal fiat or shareholder lawsuit being finally told, look, you're the board. You have to manage these risks. So I think that they're finally mm -hmm. going to start to put together 
the tools that are available to them within their organization and how that shakes out is something that we're both going to have to watch. Do think so. Yeah. And um, like you said, I don't know if it's 2022, 2025, some companies, it's probably going to be like by Thanksgiving. Um, But there is no way that these two processes, compliance and audit, there's no way they don't become more important, more emboldened, more empowered, usually by better technology. And the board is going to want both of them to help the board make better decisions. I will have to see how it all shakes out. Well, Matt, this has been a fascinating exploration. We're going to link to your blog post in our show notes. And I look forward to seeing what next week brings us. Thank you, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. Also, check out the show notes where I have additional resources available in forms of blog posts written by Matt or myself. I hope you'll join Matt and I again next week where we take another deep dive, literally going into the compliance weeds. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and proud member of C-Suite Radio. We look forward to visiting with you again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.